Hey, good morning, everybody. How's it going? You know how sometimes you start talking after an awkward silence and you talk too loud? Like in the morning, sometimes when I say good morning to Bethany, because I tend to get up about two in the morning and work out for about two hours and then pray for two hours. And, uh, and so I'm like, hey, babe, good morning. <laughs> I felt like that right in that moment. At, at 10.30 when I roll out of bed? <laughs> yes. 10.30 a.m.? <laughs> hey, I didn't say it. Just kidding. Good to be with you guys. Thanks for having us this morning. We're so excited to be with you. Uh, this is family uh, in so many ways, and uh, we're excited. We're, we're hoping that Joy Church Eugene is going good today, but we're just trusting the Lord. You know, we, we didn't tell anybody we weren't going to be there. We just wanted to let people be empowered, you know, because you're supposed to come to church and not just be a spectator, right? So we just decided says, we won't be there. It says to come prepared with a word, so right. we're hoping one of them did. Exactly. Well, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce this next part, Bethany. Oh, okay. Uh, how many of you guys have ever seen, um, you know, those adorable pictures, you know, maybe on Facebook, maybe on Instagram of couples? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jake and I have never been great at those pictures. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> we did our engagement photo shoot out in uh, Jacksonville. Jacksonville, and literally the amazing photographer who was helping us was like, do you guys love each other? I <laughs> I cannot tell. We were just so awkward. Recently, <laughs> recently, Mariah tried to take pictures of it. I'm sure she felt the same way. Like, wow, they've been married how long? Did they adopt these children? Like, they don't look like they've ever even held hands, okay? But how many of you guys have seen those pictures? And you've seen, maybe you've seen the hashtag relationship goals. You've seen pictures, you've seen people, and you think, wow, man, I wish. I wish, well, um, we, we have some great pictures to show you guys today of some relationship goals. Maybe you guys can put up that. Oh, isn't that amazing? It's beautiful. You see that and you think, man, I can do that. And so we did. We did do that. It's so good. I think it looks pretty much the same. It's not awkward in any way. You know, or, or maybe the classic photo with your, you know, your favorite pet. Oh, man, that's goals. That's goals right there. And we, so we did the same thing. <laughs> Our favorite porcelain doll. So beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. She, she doesn't talk too much at night. Sometimes we have to put her in a closet. Sometimes she, she whispers, I'm watching you. <laughs> it's sweet. She's a, she's a cutie. Or, you know, this is for the really, really adventurous couples. Oh, yeah, that's so fun. So fun. And that seemed more like me and Jake, so we went ahead and tried to recreate that one. <laughs> you can just scroll through those. <laughs> Someone had a lot more fun with that photo shoot than the other person. I liked that photo shoot. I thought it was fun. <laughs> Is that all we got? Yep. Awesome. That's it. Awesome. So that was our, our uh, photo shoot there. We, um, we discovered that all those photos that people take on Instagram are not real because, like, especially the one where you're laying there with the dog in between you is never a position that a human would ever get into in a natural situation. I was like, hold on, where does my arm go? I felt like I was doing yoga, which I've tried to avoid my whole life. So, <laughs> but uh, today we're excited to talk about being covenant keeping, covenant keepers in our 
marriage. You guys have been going through this series on marriage and relationships. You've been having a good time, enjoying that. Anybody, uh, <clears throat> anybody in counseling now after like th- week three or two? Hopefully, hopefully not from the messages. But uh, we're talking about being covenant keepers in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus deals with the subject of marriage, and it says in verse three of Matthew 19, some Pharisees came to him to test him. And they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? That's all. That's it. Just any and every reason. Any and every reason. Is it lawful? And uh, this is what Jesus said. He said, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, when God wants to join something together, the enemy tries to do everything he can to split it apart. There's something that's really special and unique and holy and covenantal, which we're going to talk about today and even talk about what that word means, that God does in marriage. And the devil wants to split it apart. And what's interesting here is these Pharisees were looking for any legal loophole. What can we find? What, what kind of, can we, get, can we get a get out of jail free card, Right. Uh, to get out of marriage, what are the reasons that we can do this? Because they're really not understanding God's perspective on marriage. That what God wants to join together, what he's joined together, the enemy wants to divide. And we can become a willing participant with the devil who wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy when we are looking for ways to get out of something that God wants to bring together. So this is a fascinating passage. We could talk about that all day. But today we're going to focus in on three different approaches to marriage. Three different approaches that that we, we tend to have when it comes to marriage. Number one is the casual approach. The casual approach, which is just kind of like marriage is no big deal. It's just a piece of paper. You know what I mean? How many of you have heard this in, in, in society, yeah. right? Maybe you even thought this way at one point. Maybe you even think like this today. Don't raise your hand. But you think, ah, marriage is just a, it's just a piece of paper. No big deal. The second approach that people can have with marriage is this, a contractual approach. That's marriage is a contract. We have a deal. We got to keep the deal. We're going to talk about that. Marriage is a contract. The third approach, which we're going to focus in on today, is this. A covenantal approach, which says this. That marriage is a holy covenant established by God. Marriage is a holy covenant established by God. Now, how many of you, be fully honest, be transparent, do not lie in church, lest God open the ground underneath you and suck you down alive into hell. Which was a prayer that we prayed one time after Wednesday night church with dad. (laughs) because I was lying. (laughs) So don't lie in church, all right? Uh, How many of you are like, cool, I want to do the covenantal thing, but I don't really know exactly what that is, (laughs) right? Anybody? Awesome. I appreciate the honesty. That's awesome. Uh, You guys knew I'm too old and blind to see your faces, so I didn't even know who you were, so you could raise your hand back there in in safety. But we're going to talk about what it means to to walk in a covenant marriage and what that actually means, okay? But number one, we're going to start with looking at the casual Approach. The casual approach to marriage just says it's not that big of a deal. It's just kind of another thing. It's kind of a tradition. People do it. You know, it's another, another thing. And you do it after, you know, live together for 10 years. And marriage is just sort of the next step. And, you know, yeah, it gives us an opportunity to take cute pictures like, like the ones we showed you. <laughs> Maybe get some, you know, better deals on our taxes, whatever. But it's not that big of a deal. It's casual, right? A casual approach. Now, this casual approach to marriage tends to lead to a casual approach in the rest of the way that we work this out. So in our culture, this casual approach to marriage, it leads to a casual approach to sex. 
It leads to a casual approach to moving in together. And then ultimately, it actually leads to a casual approach to divorce, right? Easy in, easy out. So when you look at this in, in culture, what we observe is that it tends to make sense. You know, it's kind of logical. Well, we're, we're sort of been dating for a while and, you know, we've been swiping right. And uh, so uh, I didn't get any laughs on that. <laughs> That's all right. This is a holy church. Okay. People in Eugene would have been laughing. I'll tell you that right now. And swiping. And swiping, yeah. So we have this casual approach to this, and it makes sense. Let's move in together. You bring your toothbrush over to my place. I'll put mine at yours. You know, we'll carve out some space in the garage to put my, my stuff, and, uh, you know, we'll be there together until it's not working for me anymore or it's not working for you anymore, and then we'll casually sort of divide and, you know, give you back your Scooby-Doo DVDs and, you know, figure it out and where's my Star Wars collection? You know, we move, go our separate ways and then casually kind of get into another relationship. That, that's what happens. So a casual approach, it's, it tends to bleed into everything. A casual approach to this thing that God calls holy, that God wants to be a covenant, it leads to a casual view of all the other parts of it. So today, just to illustrate this, I want to tell you about a casual relationship that I once had. How many of you are interested to hear about this? Yes. Casual relationship I once had with karate. Or should I say karate? There we go. Has anybody seen? No? I'm going there. Cobra Kai? Shouldn't, Quiet! You shouldn't have wooed. Now we all know. <laughs> now we all know. I don't recommend it, but I do like it. Okay. So I once had a casual relationship with karate. Uh, we, we had a guy in our church. This was years and years ago. And uh, I was just in that, I was still in that kind of awkward stage as, as a, a, a guy from about 8 to 30. For me, it was about that stage. <laughs> I was what people call husky. You know, my mom would be like, you're not fat, you're husky. And then I found out basically the same thing. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> there was this guy that came to Joy, and he was a karate master. He was a black belt, and he was the real deal had all the moves. And so he was like, hey, I'm going to do a karate class. And dad thought it would be a good idea to enroll us in this karate class. So we actually were in the chapel over there, and it used to be called the brown room. Anybody remember that? Because it had brown carpet. Okay, that's what it was called, the brown room. We were really creative in our naming conventions at that time. <laughs> and so we had the brown room, and, uh, and we had our karate class in there. And I was, I had this fantasy, you know, it's kind of like marriage. You think it's going to be a certain way, and then it's different in real life. My thought of karate was more like Cobra Kai, throat punch, roundhouse kicks, Chuck Norris view. You know what I mean? Bad guys are going to attack you and you can like cut off, their, uh, cut off their wind or their air by throat punching them with karate. That's what I thought of, right? Does anybody else know what I mean? So as a kid, this is what, what I was thinking. And then we get to karate class and the reality was completely different. Uh, they were like making us exercise. It was ridiculous. I don't want to have a better breath control or be able to say, huh! I, I want to kill people with my hands. That's what I want to do. So could you show me that? Not this other stuff. And they're like, no, you need to run around in circles in the room. And he, he, they wanted us to stand a certain way. And, and I just, I wasn't into that. And so I got in trouble and he made me do a wall sit, which lasted for about three seconds. <laughs> it's harder than it looks. There's no chair. There's no chair. It's like your muscles are the chair. It's ridiculous. And then the worst thing about karate class was that I was told it's only for self-defense. 
Like, you can't use this on people? You have to wait for somebody to attack you? I'm out. Ridiculous. I really wanted to be the aggressor, right? Chuck Norris isn't like, oh, come at me, bro. <laughs> He's like, you're selling drugs to minors? I'm going to throat punch you, right? That's what karate's all about. Can I get an amen? Okay. This isn't going out on live stream, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> Just so you guys know, this is Joy Medford's policy on karate, not Joy Eugene for the legal ramifications. So I was, I was really uh, dis, disenfranchised, dis, disheartened about this. And I had this casual approach, so I, I quit. I left, you know. I, I went out of there. And uh, other people advance through karate. I've, I've seen other people that go through this process, and they have uh, one of the guys I, I take uh, courses from in, in business training. He's, he's like an advanced karate guy, and he has all this ability to be mentally disciplined. And he's, it's like this wonderful thing in his life that has produced so much fruit and good, good results in his life. And here's the lesson out of this. This casual approach for me, I couldn't take the pain, and so I never got the gain. I, I, never, I didn't stick through the uncomfortable discipline, wall sitting, running around in circles, learning how to do the, what are they called, the katas? The kiai, those types of things. I didn't learn how to do it. Isn't kiai a car that you buy? No, it's kia, okay. But I, did, I didn't learn. And that casual approach, what happens is it, it allows you to sort of always be an amateur and never be the pro. It allows you to get in and maybe get a little bit of the enjoyment but miss out. I'll tell you this, casual relationships or a casual approach to marriage, it's like always having the appetizer, never getting the meal. It's fun for a while, but you really miss out on the main course. And ultimately what happens is you miss the true joy that God intended for you in marriage because you are only looking for the surface level pleasure, the surface level uh, type of a thing. So like me, I missed out on what martial arts and karate could have done for me. Um, would have probably helped me get a little bit uh, faster out of that husky stage, uh, you know, and advance in life. But I missed out. There's a story in the Bible in John chapter 4. Jesus is walking through a place called Samaria. He stops at a well. A woman comes out. And uh, he begins to speak with her. In the course of this conversation, it's revealed that she has had five husbands and the man that she's living with at that time is not her husband. And she begins to convey to Jesus that she's thirsty, not in that uh, way, thirsty like in our modern culture, but she's, you know, spiritually thirsty and desperate and unfulfilled. And he talks about living water. But I, I, I'm not going to go into all of that today. But what I want to say is that that casual approach, marriage after marriage after marriage, in, out, always hitting that surface level, what it ultimately ends up with is it leaves us unfulfilled, deeply unsatisfied. And God wants to do something different in our relationships. He wants to give us this ability to, to, to move through the pain into the place of gain, not just in that casual approach, but moving into a deeper level of relationship. Uh, the second type of approach to marriage is contractual, contractual relationship. Um, how many of you guys have ever signed a terms and conditions, right? Every time you do something new on your phone, you have to click it. How many of you guys read it? Put my hand down. Way to go. Way to go. We don't read it, right? We're like, I'm sure they're not going to mess me over, right? And that's really what a contract is right? Is that when you have a contract with someone, it's because you both kind of are nervous about the other person not holding up their end of the deal, yeah. right? And so let's sign a contract to make sure you do what you said you were going to do. And some of us, we have this kind of um, 
of approach to relationships, right? Or marriage, where, you know, well, as long as you hold up your end of the bargain, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain. A contract is really based on mutual distrust, right? If I was in a contractual relationship with Jake, I would always be waiting for him to break that contract, right? I'd always be suspicious watching him, making sure, you know, right? That doesn't seem extremely healthy for marriage. (laughs) A contract is generally temporary, right? It's not something that goes on forever and ever. Some of you guys have had a contract with a, um, a contractor for your home, and you're like, it did go on forever. It did. I thought it was temporary. He's still there. He's still there. My, my sister recently had a contract with um, someone to trim a bunch of trees and things in their yard, and it was supposed to take a week, and it's been like five weeks. And she's like, he's always here. When, it, when is he going to be done? He's always here, right? It's not ending, right? It's supposed to be temporary, right? A contract is almost always to protect the rights of the person signing and to limit their responsibility. Wow. Okay, what, what, how much can I get out of this and how little do I have to give? Wow. So we can see how badly that relates to marriage, right? How poorly that will be. A contract really is like, as long as you're in, I'm in. As long as you're in, I'm in. We, um, a couple years ago, Jake married this great uh, young adult couple. No? Sorry, I got messed up. You didn't marry them. You married them. You officiated the marriage. He didn't enter into their marriage. That would have been breaking the contract. Okay. But, uh, and it was, it was a beautiful wedding. It was this great young adult couple. They love the Lord. So they get married, you know, it was like a summer evening on a farm in front of their families, in front of their friends. It's just gorgeous. The people look like movie stars, right? They weren't taking pictures like Jake and I, trust me, right? They, they just look amazing. It's a, it's a beautiful wedding. We're all there. We see them get married, you know, and it's just a gorgeous time. Well, then it was like three weeks or maybe even six weeks later. It was a while. It was a while later. They come to Jake on a Sunday morning and they say, hey, <laughs> we have a problem, right? And Jake's like, what, what, what? And like, we messed up the marriage license, so we actually need to redo it. We've never been legally married this whole time, right? So, you know, after church on Sunday, they go in and they fill, they fill it out, and Jake helps them. You know, he's a, a good firstborn child. He's like, we should have read the instructions, guys, you know, whatever. But, you know, he helps them fill it out, read the instructions, read the whole thing, turn it in. Now, for all of us, right, who saw this couple get married, right, we saw them give their vows to each other. We didn't then say when they didn't just have the contract, they didn't finish their legal contract, right? So we weren't like those last six weeks you weren't married. It was all fake, right? Because they weren't just entering into a contractual marriage. They were entering into a covenantal marriage. The actual license was kind of the least important part. I understand for the live stream, it's important. <laughs> okay? I understand that's an important part. But really, when you are, are really saying, no, I'm taking this seriously. I'm taking this. This is the most important decision. Then we realize, like, this license is the least important part. Right? And so for us, we weren't like, uh-oh, you got, everyone knew. No, you guys were married this whole time. This, now you have the contract. Now you have the license. But you just, you've really been married this whole time. Awesome. 
And that brings us to our next point, which is a covenantal approach to marriage. And this is where we want to really lock in and look at this. Not a casual approach, not just a contractual approach. Uh, A covenantal approach is not based on mutual distrust, like a contract. You're not expecting to break or be broken, right, in this this relationship. Um, It's not temporary. And then most importantly, it's not about self-preservation. So where the contract approach says, look, I'm going to guard myself in this relationship and make sure that you're legally obligated or that this contract makes you, you know, it's kind of like the big boogeyman hanging over your head to, to, to smite you if you step out of line. The covenantal approach is not about self-preservation. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. It's unconditional commitment motivated by sacrificial love for the other. When we think about God's love, God's expression of love through Christ, it's, it's this beautiful covenantal approach to love, not a contractual approach where if you do it right, then I'll continue to hold up my end of the bargain. How many of you are appreciative that the blood of Jesus that covers our sins, that redeems us and pays for you know, us, uh, pays for our sins and, and reconciles us with God is not based on our performance, but rather based on the performance of Christ at the cross and that God always holds up his end of the bargain even when we let ours down. That's the difference between a covenantal and a contractual approach. But this word covenant, it comes from the old Hebrew word uh, or the Old Testament Hebrew word, bereath, which means a cutting. And in this cutting, there's always a shedding of blood. So just to give you a picture of what covenant looks like from a biblical perspective, it's this word bereath. In the Old Testament, if two people went into a covenant, this is what they would do. They would take an animal uh, usually a bull, but sometimes it would be uh, lambs or, or sheep, and they would physically cut it in two. And then they would walk around the pieces or through the pieces, but typically around the pieces of this torn-in-half animal or cut-in-half animal seven times to signify blood was shed. There was blood was spilled. This deal, this contract, this covenant we're entering into is not something that we take lightly. It actually has, it's a blood oath. It's a blood pact. Now, I want you to think about how weird that is. Imagine if you're doing this with, like, Facebook Marketplace deals. (laughs) You're like, hey, man, I wanted to buy those Co jeans off you. (laughs) And he's like, sweet, come on. And then he's like, hold on, uh, bring your dog. And you're like, why? (laughs) No reason. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just could you walk around that seven times for me uh, before I buy these? (laughs) You're on Craigslist, like, I'm here to rent your place. You're like, no problem, bring a bowl. (laughs) You're not going to mess up the carpet, are you? I said no cats. (laughs) Serious, right? How many of you know? We, We don't do that. But this was what a covenant was about, so this is what they would do. But listen, it goes a little deeper than this. In, in Old Testament wedding ceremonies, sometimes the priest who was going to marry this, this couple uh, would take a knife. So imagine that at your nuptials, right? Your wedding ceremony. They're like, hold on, come on. We got the, the machete part of this uh, whole. It's like unity candle, knife. And uh, the priest would actually cut the hand of the bride, cut the hand of the groom. Hopefully it was the priest that was in charge of circumcision because they were more precise. You know what I mean? But anyways... Hello. Okay, so he cut the hand of the bride and the groom. You can feel the Holy Spirit working in the room right now. 
And he would put their hands together so the blood would mingle. And then he would tie their hands together with bands to show that they were being joined together. And it was in that state of the blood coming together with their hands tied together that they would actually share their wedding vows in front of everyone. That's pretty serious. And, and all of this ceremony and all of this, this ritual that was going on was not just because these are old, these are this weird Old Testament people, whatever, they're, they're primitive. It, it wasn't that at all. It actually, there was actually a great sophistication to this, which was recognizing the, the sanctity and the holiness and the very serious nature of what marriage really is. That when we make a deal, when we come together in a, it's not just a contract, not just a piece of paper where I'm guarding myself. This is a covenant. We're committing ourselves to say, look, I'm going to lay my life on the line for you regardless of what comes, regardless of even what, what you do. And so the truth of this is that this thing called marriage is extremely serious and it matters to God. How many people are like, man, I'm going to do my marriage photos on Instagram with that bull thing where we cut it in half. or the, <laughs> But it matters to God. You know, the, the level of value that we put in determines the value we draw out. And so as a society, as a culture, we've cheapened sex, we've cheapened marriage, we've cheapened relationships to the point where as we've drawn so much value out of it, it becomes worthless. And again, you go back to this casual approach, you go to this contractual approach and it's like, well, it's not that big of a deal and so therefore easy in, easy out. Well, it's a contract, I'm gonna guard myself and look, you let your end of the bargain down. So now it's like these Pharisees saying, well, we, what are the legal and lawful ways we can just divorce our wife? And Jesus said, wait a second, you don't get it at all. He actually goes on in that passage to talk about the fact that if you get divorced and you get remarried, that you're living in adultery. And that's a hard passage because people go, well, dang it, I've been divorced. And does that mean I'm living in adultery right now? Well, actually, it's, it's more specific to this situation because what he was saying is your heart is the heart of an adulterer. When you take marriage and God's perspective of it and you make it about, did I, did I keep my end of the bargain? And you missed the whole thing that it was a covenant when you put your hands together and you bled together and, and you said those vows that God looked at that and he actually joined you together. Which is why it says in the Bible that, that divorce actually covers the garments with violence. It's like this tearing, this ripping apart. Imagine if you just had your arm ripped off. The, the gore, the, the, the grotesque nature of that is what happens in a divorce. It's what happens when there's this cheapened view. And so as a society, as we've cheapened the view of sex, cheapened the view of marriage, it becomes worthless. And it's, it's, it, it loses out on all of the value and the beauty and the greatness and the, the glory of what God wanted to do in this gift that he gave us. Just a couple more thoughts on this. <clears throat> in the church, you know, as we talk about these, these issues and talk about these topics, um, with our kids, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable to have the talk with your children, right? But the reality is that as the church, who do we want to be shaping the view of marriage and sex and relationships more than a, a godly perspective given by parents and by, you know, leaders that love someone? Well, I mean, would you rather have the public school system be training your kids in this area? Would you rather be have, you know, uh, Jill and Jimmy at, in fifth grade be talking about this because what they learned on, the, you know what I'm saying? We need to be able to speak to our kids about these things and, and actually move from a, a perspective of sex as dirty or gross or move from this kind of thing of no, 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 but actually explain, no, it's not no, 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 it's wait, wait, wait. Not this is bad, gross, dirty, you know, but rather we have this thing called intimacy that's a gift from God when it comes to sexual intimacy, but it's in the context of marriage. It's very holy, it's very beautiful, and it's absolutely worth waiting for. 
And so as the church, we need to have a, a strong view of this. You know, we need to be uh, not afraid of sexuality, not afraid of intimacy, not afraid of what takes place in the context of marriage, but actually celebrate it and keep it in its rightful place and honor it and, and honor God in this area of our life. Now, before I turn it back over to Bethany and as we uh, get ready to land the airplane here, I want to just be very considerate and say you may be sitting here today or watching online, watching uh, on a replay even, and you might be saying, uh, oh darn, I kind of off the path on this one. Like I kind of have already missed it. Um, maybe, maybe you've lived, you know, in, in, in a relationship with someone that you weren't married to, whatever it looks like, whatever area of sexual sin there's been, I want to let you know that the good news is that in Christ, you are a new creation. For all of us, for all of our sins, we, if we pay for our sins, if we hold those and we don't take them to the foot of the cross and receive what Jesus did for us, we're on the hook for that. But when we give it to him and we receive what Jesus did for us, he washes us clean with his blood, says in the scripture that we're, we're justified. That word justified means it's just as if I'd never sinned. You're made right with God. You're reconciled. He throws your sins away into the sea of forgetfulness, which the scripture says is as far away as the east is from the west, and God removes it from you. And so even in this area of life, if you have uh, damaged others, damaged yourself, lived out of order, lived out of what God's plan is, you don't need to be condemned. You can repent and turn to God and say, give me a fresh and a clean heart because I want to honor you from this day forward. You can become a new creation. We can submit our lives to him and be refreshed and renewed in this area and make a fresh commitment to being a covenant-keeping people in our marriages. Um, you know, Jake was talking about the Old Testament covenant, um, the covenant ritual that they, they did in the Old Testament with the, the splitting of the bull. And we see this actually one time in Genesis 15. And there's a man who's Abraham, right? And God comes to Abraham in his old age. He doesn't have any children. And he says, I'm going to make you the father of my nations, right? My people. And Abraham says, I don't have any kids. You know, this isn't going to work out. But God says, no, I'm going to. I'm going to give you a son. And he does. His name is Isaac. And this is who the Israelites, this is the Jewish people come from Abraham. But before they ever have Isaac, God comes and he he does the exact same covenant ritual that Abraham would have known, except God does it with a man. And that's in Genesis 15. And so God says, okay, take, take a heifer, I think it's a goat, and a, something else, and then a bunch of birds. And it's a weird story. And you're like, what is going on? And Abraham has to split the animals. And then God actually comes and goes in between the animals. And what God was saying is that I will be your God if you will be my people. And God is making a covenant with Abraham. And, you know, one of the things that, that Jake didn't mention, but in this covenant, when, you know, men would do this covenant with each other, what they were symbolizing is if I break my end of the deal, you can do to me what you did to this bull. And so here was God saying, if you will be my people, I will be your God. And so Abraham, you know, how is he supposed to hold up this end of the deal? But God in that moment was literally saying, I know my people are not going to hold up their end of the bargain that they are going to be unfaithful to me, that they are going to break their covenant. And so what he was saying is, I'm holding up both ends of the deal. And that was, he was just a, 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 you know, a predecessor to Jesus because God knew I will have to send my son and my son will be torn apart for these people. 
And you know, today, it's how we enter into relationships with other people, that's so important. But the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God. And maybe you have been having a casual relationship with God. You know, you're in and out of church, you're in and out of relationship with God, you're not taking it seriously. That's not the kind of relationship that he created you for. Or maybe you have a contractual relationship with God. God, if you do this for me, then I will serve you. God, if you will do this for me, then I'm going to do this. And then you know what? It doesn't work. <laughs> because it never, we never, we do have disappointments in life. We do have pain in life. Life doesn't go exactly how we thought. But God wants to be in a covenant relationship with yeah. you. And today, if you're in this place and you, you know, I don't, I'm not walking in a covenant relationship with Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now. See, Jesus, he was that sacrificial lamb that was slain for you and for me. Where God said, man, something has to happen so I can be back in relationship with my people. And so he sent Jesus for you. And so when you, you enter a covenantal relationship with Jesus, what you're saying is, God, I believe in you. I believe in your son. I believe that he died for me. I believe he rose again. I give you my life. And so right now, if everyone would just bow their heads, close their eyes. And if you're in this room and you say, I want to have that relationship with God. Would you just lift up your hand? No one's looking around. We're not doing this to embarrass you. It's really a way for you to say in faith, hey, I'm making a change in my life. So right now, if there's anyone in the room, if you just raise your hand, if you're watching online, you can raise your hand. I can't see you, but God sees you. God sees you. He sees the decision that you're making. So right now we're going to say a prayer. If you will repeat after me, it's not a magic prayer. It's not magic words. It's just a way to symbolize that you are putting your faith in Jesus. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for wanting to be in a relationship with me. God, I want to be in a relationship with you. I give you my life. I give you my past. I give you my present. I give you my future. God, will you teach me to be more like you? Will you teach me to live like you? God, forgive me of all the wrong things I've done. Help me to be more like you. I'm putting my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.